All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Tonight, I am live with Mike DeVito. Mike is a nine-year NFL veteran and also a Christian. So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about his football career, but mostly just about faith and football and putting the two together, his career in the NFL and how his faith just happened and how it worked in the NFL. So thank you for joining us today, Mike. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I love what you have been doing on Twitter and, and all the content you're putting out, uh, you're really a force for the kingdom. So it's, a, it's an honor to be on here. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So first to start off, I mean, I want to talk a lot about faith, but I mean, as a football fan, I'm kind of curious about your football career. So maybe you could just give a brief kind of like overview of your career in football. Yeah. You know, growing up, I had the best of both worlds. I had a dad who was a professional bodybuilder. And I had a uh, grandfather who was a 30-year um, high school head football coach in, uh, in Suffern, New York. Uh, and so growing up, uh, it had always been my dream uh, to play in the NFL. And that was kind of uh, cultivated by my two mentors, my grandfather and my dad. Um, and so um, they, they really left me uh, no choice. I, I didn't grow up kind of the philosophy, to, uh, the philosophy of today, which is, you know, have have kids play a bunch of different sports and find out what they like. Uh, my dad and grandfather said, look, you're going to lift weights and play football, and that's it. That, that's your choice, and you have no choice. So uh, I was uh, determined to play football. And uh, and so, yeah, so I, uh, I grew up with, with those two influences, playing football in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I uh, went to high school there and then had the opportunity to play at the University of Maine in 2002, got a scholarship to play. Um, in college, and so that was really, really exciting to get a chance to play Division One football, and uh, I know that was big for my my family, and uh, we really enjoyed that. <clears throat> um, and then again in 2007, I finished up my college career and had an opp opportunity to sign a free agent deal in the NFL. So I signed uh, with the New York Jets in 2007, which was really cool uh, because I grew up a Jets fan. I'm from New York originally. My family's from New York. And so I, I grew up a Jets fan rooting for the Jets. And so it was really cool in 2007 to sign with them um, and get to go into a locker room and see a bunch of the, you know, heroes and mentors I grew up uh, uh, watching on TV. Uh, and so I played six years with the Jets and then I finished out my career in Kansas City with the Chiefs from uh, 2013 to 2015. And I retired in uh, 2016. And um, my wife and I moved back up to central Maine where we're living now. Uh, and since then, it's been uh, all school, all school and raising my, my two boys, Rocco and Sal. So that's, uh, that's kind of been the, the long and short of it. Oh. oh, whoops, my microphone was muted there. Oh. My bad. Um, sorry. Okay, so maybe that's really awesome stuff. So maybe you could give an example of maybe a really hard thing to do in your football career. I mean, there's a lot of tough drills and practices or a tough game or something like that. Maybe just an example of something just really hard that you remember to this day. Yeah. There's always a ton of, of tough conditioning, tough, uh, you know, getting into shape, all, all the things that you have to put into to be a, uh, a good football player. It's funny. Football is a really a weird sport because when you think about it, especially in the NFL, um, you, you work 365 days a year. I mean, when I was playing the NFL, there wasn't a day that I wasn't lifting, running, studying, doing something to get ready to play the game on Sundays. Uh, but when you break it down, um, you play 16 games in an NFL season. So if you're healthy for the whole season, an NFL player plays 16 games in a regular season. 
Um, and the average player plays about 20 to 30 reps a game. And each rep lasts about three to five seconds. So when you look at it at the end, you're working 365 days a year um, for basically 11 minutes, 11 to 15 minutes of actual football that you play on Sundays. Uh, and so the, the stress is, is so much during the offseason because you realize there's not a lot of opportunity to make mistakes. Um, and, I, and I guess I, I say that to say some of the toughest times in my career uh, and some of the things I remember most, unfortunately, were the mistakes I made on Sunday uh, because you don't, you don't really have a lot of opportunities. Again, it is a short amount of time. You know, I, I had a, the, the blessing to be able to play for nine years. Um, and so I look back and think, man, I, you know, I could have done things better. I could have worked harder. You know, I have regrets. So I guess, I guess the toughest thing I would be, you know, just to put it in one, you know, a couple of phrases would be uh, just regret that I didn't, uh, uh, I, I didn't maximize the time as well as, as I wish I had. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of players that kind of finish up with that same sentiment. You always look back and think, man, I had, I had nine years. Uh, what could I have been if I really worked that much harder? So uh, when I look back at my career, that's kind of one thing that, that's difficult is just, uh, you know, leaving some missed opportunities out there on the field. Yeah, it would be tough. But, I mean, you know, you can always do better. So maybe to the opposite end of the spectrum, what is one of your favorite memories from your football career? Yeah, so probably my favorite memory – uh, any Cowboys fans that you have uh, uh, watching probably won't like this, but I was playing for the Jets, and it was um, September 11th, 2011, so 10-year anniversary of September 11th. Uh, and we were playing in New York against the Cowboys. And we were beating the Cowboys, and I believe they were coming back. And it was right at the end of the game, and they were on, like, the four- or five-yard line. Their offense is going in, getting ready to score – on their, you know, their own four or five guys, so they're getting ready to score. And I was able to break through the line, and as Tony Romo was running in to score the game-winning touchdown, I put my helmet right where the ball was and knocked the ball loose, sacked Tony Romo, uh, caused the fumble, re-recovered, and ended up winning the game because of it. And so, you know, causing that fumble on September 11th, you know, the 10-year anniversary, at home in, in New York, uh, with our hometown fans, uh, that was really, really a special experience and something I, you know, I really treasure. Yeah, man, that would be, that'd be amazing. That's my dream to hit Tony Romo. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So let's transition a little bit towards uh, your walk as a Christian. So my first question for you is, when did you become a Christian? Yeah, so it was, you know, obviously with God's timing, it's always perfect timing. So I, I became a Christian in April of 2007, um, right before I left to play, left college to go play in the NFL. Um, and so I, I grew up in uh, not, not very, you know, not at all a religious household. I grew up in a pretty secular household. Um, and so religion really wasn't a part of it. We were taught to be good people. And it wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say it was an atheist household. It wasn't like they were telling, you know, telling me God doesn't exist or anything like that. But just something that nobody really talked about. Um, and so, uh, outside of my grandmother, there really wasn't, you know, there wasn't any going to church or anything like that. She would take us to church on, on Easter and things like that. But, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a believer until 2007. Um, I was at college and my, my best friend who ended up playing with me in the NFL, um, he said, Hey man, you gotta, you know, you gotta come to church with me. You know, I know we're about to leave school. He knew I was graduating. 
Um, and so he said, you know, I, I want you to come and, and check this out, check out church with me. And so I never really thought twice about it until that point. And again, this is in Northern Maine, right? So we, he, he, he goes to a, a, an old school Pentecostal church up in Northern Maine. And, um, you know, before we went, he, he, he gave me the, the disclaimer, you know, he said, listen, um, uh, you know, things can get a little wild in my church, you know, the people speaking in tongues and running around the aisles and falling out. And I remember thinking, geez, I want to go just to see this. This is, this is crazy. You know, I gotta check this out. Like, again, not, you know, just doing it to kind of, you know, to, to please my buddy, but I wasn't really like into it. I, I, but then when he said that, I was like, I gotta see this. This is crazy. Uh, and so we go to, I go to church with my buddy, his church again, up North in, in Northern Maine and this old school Pentecostal church in a double wide trailer. And, um, just like my buddy said, it was totally chaos. You know, it was like, wow, I can't believe this is church. I always envisioned church kind of the Catholic, Episcopalian, you know, Neil stand. And these people are running around and speaking in tongues. And so, um, you know, they're doing all that. And finally, I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. This is, this is just too crazy. And so at the, end of the, at the end of the service, they do an altar call. And basically, they condense all the madness that was around the church right up into the front. Uh, and, and if you don't know Jesus, you better believe you're going to, you're going to meet him. You're going to be up there, uh, getting prayed for. And so everybody went up front. I stayed back in my pew. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, anywhere up there. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and finally that, you know, the pastors and elders, everybody's trying to get me to come up. I don't come up. And finally I'm like, all right, I'll go up. I go up to the front of the room. And again, all this madness, just all the speaking in tongues, all that just confined to the front now. And I remember putting my head down and thinking, saying, God, if you're real, I just pray, just get me out of here as fast as possible. Like, whatever <laughs> it needs to happen for this to end, but just please help me. Uh, but then I remember the pastor coming over and laying his hand on me and the assistant pastor coming over uh, and laying his hand on me. And they started to pray for me. And the best way I can describe it is just like electricity through my body. And within an instant, it was like the light switch was turned on. And I didn't need any propositional knowledge. I didn't need uh, to know any certain verse of scripture to know, okay, whatever's going on, this is the truth. Uh, uh, and it really was, I mean, it was that 180 turn uh, within an instant. Um, it wasn't a gradual process for me. It was like, nope, this is real. Uh, and so a week later I got baptized in the church and uh, uh, and that was, you know, perfect timing because right after that, I was I was out of Maine and, and heading to the NFL. Um, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about kind of the influences in the NFL as well. Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of uh, the, the quick version of my testimony. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome stuff. So talking about the NFL, so you were a, a new Christian. How did you really um, grow in your faith as you got thrown into the NFL? Because I'm sure that took up a lot of time, a big commitment to be in the league. Yeah, no, it, it really did. And uh, if, it, if it wasn't for the great Christian leaders that were on the team um, when I came in the NFL, uh, I don't know where my faith would have would have been, if it would have lasted. Because uh, it really is a different world, right? You're leaving, you're leaving college, you're entering into the real world. And the NFL, um, you, there's obviously support systems, but it also can be very cold, especially coming in as a rookie. You're going in, I'm, I play defensive line, and I'm going into that defensive line room, and I'm trying to take the older guys' jobs. 
and this isn't like a college where I'm trying to just, you know, win the starting spot. I'm trying to take food off their table to put food on my table. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to make friends when that's the situation. Um, but there were some really, really good Christians on the team, Kenyon Coleman, James Durth, um, uh, Jericho Cotri. There were some really strong Christians. It was 2007 with the Jets um, that took me out of their wing and uh, uh, took me to Bible studies with them. We prayed together during training camp um, and just did life together as I was, you know, learning the ropes as an NFL player. And so it kind of paralleled, you know, learning the ropes as a Christian. Um, uh, and so it was, it was incredible. And I really grew a lot uh, as a football player, but more importantly, as a, as a uh, Christian, because of those influences I had. Um, and so, and, and the, some of those guys were in the defensive line room with me, um, where they knew that I was there trying to win that spot and trying to take food off of their table. And yet they didn't, that, that didn't matter to them. They were going to help me on the field and more importantly, they're going to help me become a better Christian. Uh, and learn about Jesus and walk the walk. Um, and so, yeah, that's a testimony of those guys. And that's something that I carried farther, I, I carried further in my career as, as I got older, was to try to be that mentor to younger players coming in, who I knew, especially when I was getting older, I knew they were probably going to take my spot. Um, but I took the same approach. It was like first a kingdom mindset where um, I want to mentor these guys in Christ and, and make sure that they're taken care of and spiritually taken care of. And that was something that was really um, important to me. And then try to mentor them on the field as well. And so uh, that that uh, impact that those older guys had on me when I first came in the league um, really had an exponential effect. Yeah, that's really awesome. So what was the religious culture in the locker room? I mean, did you have, I'm sure, I mean, I don't really know, were there a lot of people who just weren't religious people who would openly be like an atheist or Muslims, anything like that? Like what was the diversity look like in the locker room? Yeah, you know, you you had a, a, a good amount of Christians. I mean, majority of Christians. Now that didn't mean that everybody was gonna go to Bible studies. So you got 53 guys on a team on an active roster uh, and we would, you know, circle up to pray before every game. You had 95% of the team circling up to pray before the game. Um, but the night before, you'd have a chapel service. Uh, and in chapel, you'd probably have 15 guys, 10 to 15 guys, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, so that's what, about a tenth of the team? Um, uh, or, yeah, no, less than that. What is that? That's about a fifth of the team. Yeah. yeah. Good thing I did philosophy and not math. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, so, uh, so, you, so when you're talking about how sold out people were, um, it was hard to tell. But you, uh, you certainly had a number of Christians. When I finished out um, my time in the NFL, I was on a team with uh, a couple of Muslims uh, who, I, who I became really close with. Um, uh, and then atheists, not uh, not openly. I, I don't remember meeting too many people who said, yeah, no, I'm an, I'm an atheist. Uh, but, but football really is, oh, there's something interesting about football where it really goes hand in hand with faith. You know, it's like faith, family, football. You know, it's... Uh, uh, you always see those three put together. So I don't know if it's something about the game. The game's a violent sport, and maybe uh, violent things like that. You tend to, to, you know, to recognize the need to, to fall back on something greater than yourself. Um, so there, there was a lot of uh, there was a very um, spiritual atmosphere. There was certainly a Christian atmosphere uh, in the locker room on most of the teams I was on. And then 
when you really got down to it, there were some some really amazing sold out for Christ believers on those teams uh, that were incredible leaders that are doing amazing things now. So so yeah, so I would say it's it's uh, um, it's really it's really good. You know, yeah, it was much harder. It would have been much harder to be a Christian in college, where in college there's a little bit more peer pressure. Um, there's a, a little bit more pressure to conform to the group kind of group norms. In the NFL, everybody's married, got kids, doing their own thing, their own person. And so there's less pressure to kind of uh, do some of the things that might uh, derail a, you know, a Christian walk. Um, uh, now, that's not to say it's, it's a, you know, that there aren't challenges. And it's not important to have those, that, that network of Christians there to support each other. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, when I think back and compare and contrast that college probably would have been a lot harder to be a Christian than the NFL. Yeah, it's really interesting. So who were the leaders in terms of Christian and the Christian groups in the locker room? Was it like your chaplains, your coaches? Was it the players? I'm just, you know. Yeah. So each team has a team chaplain. Um, when I was with the Jets, uh, our chaplain was Adam Burt. He, uh, he played 14 years in the NHL and then retired in 2001 to start a church in uh, Manhattan. Uh, and then he became our chaplain, uh, I think a little bit later, about five or six years later. Um, and so he, he's been a mentor to me. Um, he's, uh, we still do life together. I mean, we still talk all the time. And uh, so he's been a great mentor in my life. Philip Kelly was our, our um, chaplain out in Kansas City. Uh, he had started a church out there and then became the chaplain for the Chiefs. Uh, and again, a great person, somebody that I really respected and looked up to. Uh, and then, yeah, and then within the, within the team itself, you, so you had these guys on the outside that would come in and be the chaplain for the team. So they would do chapel the Saturday night be before the game. During the week, we would have a Bible study. Um, so they kind of ran that stuff. And then, yeah, each year you'd have um, really Christian leaders that were on the team, guys you would look up to. Uh, again, going way back to 2007, Kenyon Coleman uh, was really a, a, a some some. I'm sure some guys will remember him. Uh, he's a fantastic leader, great football player, and he was probably the most real Christian. I mean, we're talking living the life. Uh, this man would get up. We would have training camp. Training camp was so hard, and training camp started at six o'clock in the morning. He'd get up at five and pray from five to six every morning. You know, that's the kind of he would just wow. say that. And so he would set, set that example for the rest of the guys. Uh, so a, a guy that I really looked up to and respected. I, got to, I had the, the opportunity to play with Tim Tebow in 2012. And so he was our spiritual leader then. He was, uh, again, another guy who just sold out for the cause, loved the kingdom, um, just an, an amazing guy, somebody I looked up to. Uh, Dustin Colquitt out in uh, Kansas City, um, another great Christian leader. So, so, yeah, I mean, I can go through a whole list of guys. Um, uh, but yeah, but no, there was, so it, there was, it was broken down like that. You had the team chaplains and then you had two or three guys who were kind of your Christian leaders in the locker room. Hmm. Man, I had no idea you played with Tebow. That'd be pretty cool. That's like, that's awesome. So yeah. I'm just curious there. What was it like? So what was it like being with Tebow? What was he like in terms of being a leader in the faith leader on the football team, things like yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it was funny. I, he was one of the few guys that I was starstruck when I saw, you know, I was really like, wow, that's Tim Tebow. Um, so yeah. So Tim again is somebody that really lives it. He really lives it. So I'll, 
I'll give you a story that I, I, I always think of. Um, uh, we, were, uh, we were flying home from a game, and Tim and I would sit next to each other. And I'm, I'm afraid to fly. I can't stand it. So uh, anytime there's turbulence or anything like that, I'm holding on for dear life. And so the, the plane, we were, we were in the plane. The plane was so turbulent. I'm saying all over the place. And it was, you know how it'll hit some turbulence and drop really fast? It, it, the plane kept doing that. And uh, Tim saw that I was, you know, I was freaking out. And he said, hey, bro, this thing goes down. We just go right to home to heaven with our heavenly father. He's like, you better hope this thing goes down. And I remember thinking, I wish I could believe that right now. Like I'm so, I'm so nervous. like I believe that, but I I'm still afraid to die right now. <laughs> you know, but yeah. that's just how he lived. Like nothing nothing phased him. You know, we, being being a quarterback in New York is difficult, especially when you have a name like Tim Tebow. I mean, it's a it's a tough place to be a quarterback. Uh, you're going to face a lot of criticism, um, especially if we weren't doing well. So you, you get even more criticism. And he just took everything in stride. And he always fell back on his faith and how that was the ultimate important thing and everything else was secondary. Um, and so that was, uh, that was really amazing. Another thing he did was he, he challenged me. Uh, I remember one conversation we had, he just came out of nowhere and said, hey, DeVito, I'm gonna beat you at everything I do. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give more money to the church than you. I'm gonna evangelize better than you. Uh, uh, I'm gonna live the life better than you. And he said, when we get to heaven, I'm going to be in charge of more cities than you are. I'm going to have more crowns than you are. And I remember thinking, like, can he say that? I was like, you know, go to the Bible. Like, There's got to be some rule. And, but it motivated me. And it's like I've, I've tried to take that forward where it's like I still try. You know, I, I don't think I'm saved by those things. And he didn't either. But just that competition amongst brothers to, to be better, that was, really, uh, that was really cool. So, yeah, so I learned a lot from Tim. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's really cool. So – Obviously, the locker room is a place where guys can be guys in a way, you know. I mean, obviously, I I played football in high school, so it's a, it's a lot different. <laughs> but um, in your experience, how how did you deal with if there were any you know tough situations with the quote locker room talk, you know, as a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, I, uh, high school and college, to be honest with you, I think would be more difficult in that respect. Again, there's there's so much more pressure to conform. <laughs> You know, and be involved in that. The, the lock, locker room talk in the NFL—it just—I uh, don't know. By that, by by the time—and again, that's when I had just become a Christian, getting you know going into the NFL. Um, it wasn't—it wasn't super challenging. In fact, a lot of guys respected uh, the guys who didn't do that kind of. You know, when you you were set apart, when you didn't, when you weren't uh, the guy that was cussing and swearing all the time, and you were the guy who. Uh, uh, was living it out, you know, and you weren't the guy that was uh, going to go out, you know, to the different, not, not that you weren't going to have fun, but, you know, when the line was crossed, you weren't going to cross that line, right? There was a line in the sand that you were not going to cross. Uh, and that and that opened up a lot of conversations to, to uh, evangelize and to talk to others about Jesus. Um, uh, because guys at that point in life, they're, they're thinking more about, you know, your worldview and what this life is all about. And High school and college can be much more about in the moment, you know. Um, and so, sorry, my kids are screaming in the background. Right after it's all good. Um, but, yeah, so it, it, I didn't have to, you know, there was never any pressure to conform to that. And I, I really um, took pride in the fact that uh, if I lived it out, um, 
people would be, you know, people would seek me out to know more about Jesus. And there was nothing more uh, rewarding than that for somebody to come up and say, hey, I see you do life different. Like, what's that, what's that all about? You know, and just that organically open that door to the gospel. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think there are a lot of people that came to the faith and came to know Christ during your experience, like in your career? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've seen, a, you know, I don't know personally how much effect I had, uh, but I've seen a lot of guys come to Christ in NFL locker rooms. No, no doubt. No question. Again, the, the thing that makes the NFL so difficult is you could be there one day and gone the next day. Right. And so if you're a guy, you have, you know, you have kids, you have a family, wife and kids, and you're trying to provide for them um, and you have a bad day. Uh, that can that can really stress guys out, and guys get taxed because they're so worried about um, making the team, staying on the team, uh, prospering on the field, uh, because they know it'd be one bad play and you're out the door. And so there's a lot of pressure there. Um, and so when you when they you know so when you live a life kind of that shalom, that peace, um, the other players will see that. Because the NFL season is going to, no matter how well you're doing, it's going to be up and down. Uh, and so the other guys kind of see the guys that, that found joy amongst the, the ups and the downs. And I feel like that uh, really cultivates those conversations. And so I have, a long, long story short, I have seen a lot of guys come to Christ uh, in NFL locker rooms. Not, I, I can't think of directly through me, but just, uh, you know, through the whole process, whether it be Bible studies, chapels, other guys ministering. Um, it, it really is a uh, fruitful mission field. Um, uh, and so, yeah, and, and the thing that's really cool about it is those guys have, uh, those, those are people that have a lot of influence on society. I mean, you know, you see some of these guys, they have, you know, 100,000, 200,000, a million Twitter followers. Uh, and so you get them typing out Bible verses, that's going to millions and millions of people uh, or, you know, you know, things like that, whatever it is. And so uh, just that alone, it has such an exponential effect. So, when you, when you see souls coming to Christ in an NFL locker room with professional athletes, um, it really is uh, uh, really is just one of those moments where, like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you know, because you know uh, it's going to have a big impact. Yeah, that's really, that's really awesome. So as you're in your career, let's just say, like, a normal week in the NFL, uh, what, when, what option did you have to, like, practice your faith or, like, when, like, Bible studies – chapel services like things like that throughout a normal week yeah that's probably the most difficult part of it is obviously playing on sundays so you're not going to church on sundays um and so saturday night you'd have we have chapel where we meet as a team in the hotel the team hotel whether we were at home or on the road uh and they would have a room you know set apart just for chapel uh and so the chaplain would come in and he would preach a sermon you know 15 20 minute sermon um, but you miss that the fellowship and the things like that that you would get at church. So you really have to seek that stuff out during the week. So if there's Bible studies during the week, um, we did couples Bible study every year where we would meet um, in different, you know, different players' houses and they would, you know, have food catered in and we would have the chaplain come and teach a couple study. Those kind of things are vital because you're not getting the normal um, Christian uh, kind of flow of life where you're at Wednesday night Bible studies, you know, Sunday church, you know, fellowship meetings, uh, you know, all those things that come along with just regular practicing Christian life. Uh, there's just not, you know, the, 
it's not conducive to that. And so you have to be intentional with your war. I and mean, everybody has to be intentional, but uh, you, you have to say, okay, as much as I want to go to bed right now, I'm going to go to the eight o'clock, you know, uh, couple study because I know it's important for us as a couple, my wife and I, and I know it's important just as a Christian to be in that, that fellowship that we're missing because we're in the middle of the season. Uh, and it also uh, put a precedence on the off season, really getting connected and getting back in uh, to the church back home or wherever you were at, because you knew soon enough you'd be right back to playing football and you'd have to be gone again. Yeah, that's great stuff. So I want to transition here. We're talking about um, your faith in football. And I just want to talk about a little bit about maybe like your personal faith. So my first question for you is, why do you believe God exists? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people today that will say, you know, like Richard Dawkins, who says science has buried God. Or people will say, you're crazy for believing that God exists. There's no evidence, things like that. So my question for you is, why do you believe that God exists? Yeah, it's a good, it is, it's a really good question. It's something that I, I, I always come back to. Um, and my, my faith has really been strengthened because of apologetics, philosophy, reading people like William Lane Craig and Alexander Proust and Richard Swinburne, Alvin Plantinga. Um, and so all that has really strengthened my faith. But when I really think of why I believe in God, it's, you know, it was that initial religious experience I had that, that was my conversion, and then continued religious experiences that I've had since then. Um, and so for someone to say God doesn't exist is, for, is, is almost like to me, for someone to say um, you're not perceiving the color red, you know, or you're not you're not seeing the world that you see. It just it, it seems uh, obvious to me because of these religious experiences, right? These the, the the way I feel God in prayer, the way I see God act through miracles, those those kind of things. And so I love the evidences. I, I love studying natural theology, um, but uh, but the reason I believe. Uh, is because I have a relationship with with God. Um, yeah, that's a great answer. So this is kind of a very similar question here, but what convicts you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because, I mean, you could say that God exists and not believe that Jesus rose, but what convicts you that Jesus rose and died for your sins? Yeah, that's, that's another great question. So obviously uh, one, of my, one of my really good friends, Mike Lacona, uh, and Gabby and Gary Habermas have defended um, historical arguments for the resurrection, the reliability gospels, and and so when I look at that stuff, uh, it's just amazing the evidence that's been that's been laid out, uh, especially for historical events like that that are so difficult to um, so difficult to confirm or make sense of. To see all the evidence that's been laid out for Christ, for the resurrection, for the reliability of the Gospels. Again, it, it really confirms what I already believe, but but it's those religious experiences within the context in which they happen, right? So um, I felt Christ within a Christian church. Um, when I when I read the scriptures, I feel that connection to Christ. I, I, I hear his voice when I see that, when I, when I read through the Bible. And so it's not audible voice, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it like that, but um, there is a type of experience there that I have. And so while the arguments and all that stuff can, you know, support that belief, um, again, it's, it's very basic to, uh, to uh, my, just my 
um, observation of the world, right? It just seem it just seems so true to me, just based on my experiences within those religious contexts. Yeah, that's a great answer. So, I mean, that's about all the questions I had for you. I really appreciate your time, Mike. It's been really, it's been awesome, you know. Thank you so much for having me on. Again, I really appreciate what you do, and and maybe in the future we can continue to have some more conversations on apologetics and philosophy. But this is. This has really been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely, I'd love to. So thanks for coming on. I just want to remind everyone listening, uh, you can subscribe to us for more conversations like this. Uh, be sure to like this video. You can follow Mike on Twitter. I have his link to his Twitter page in our description along with our social medias. And if you want to become a patron and support us financially, we are 17% of the way to our goal of $100 a month. So once again, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it tonight. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a great night.